Take your Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 15, and uh, I have had a wonderful time uh, seeing the work and being with Pastor Cover and, and uh, just the opportunity to understand a little more how to pray. I've been praying for this work, and yesterday as uh, Pastor drove me around Houston and uh, took me to some areas where I could get some visibility on different neighborhoods and understanding of what's happening, it really was a blessing, and I just thank the Lord. You know, the Bible says of Nehemiah, Sanballat, and Tobiah, as they were watching him, uh, they said, there's a man come from God to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And, uh, and that's what a pastor is. He's seeking the welfare of the people of the city, but not food stamps. He wants to see them saved. And that's the welfare that we're talking about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you for the opportunity and privilege to be here and just so thankful for each and every one of you. And uh, then I learned uh, just a little bit, just a little bit about the food scene here. It's pretty good. And uh, I really enjoyed that restaurant yesterday. And what were the donuts today that we had? My soul, Shipley Donuts. That was worth the trip to Houston, Texas right there. Uh, forget Krispy Kreme. Those things are way, way better. So it's been a cultural experience for me. I've got to tell you what. Well, John 15, why don't we stand for just a moment, and I'm glad to see uh, some more members of the church this morning and a few guest pastors that have come along, and we're just excited about uh, what God's doing in your city here. And, and I want to speak this morning just on the subject of bearing fruit for Jesus, bearing fruit for Jesus, and uh, we'll cover a number of things. This is going to be a little more of a teaching and preaching and uh, hopefully just some uh, thoughts and principles from the Bible that might be a blessing to you. John 15 and verse 8, the Bible says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. And then one other verse, verse 16, if you'll notice, of course, this whole passage is about abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. Verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this wonderful morning and for the privilege that we have to learn, to grow, and then to serve you today. I pray that you would bless the churches represented with great Palm Sunday services tomorrow and Resurrection Sunday services uh, next Sunday. And Lord, would you continue to work and guide and direct us as we bear fruit is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think every honest Christian looks about our country today and maybe even in our churches and thinks, how can we see more fruit? And sometimes we think, why is there not more fruit? I know pastors think that way, but I think we all think that way Lord, how can we have more fruit? And the fact of the matter is that Jesus said, I have chosen you and ordained you that you would go and bring forth fruit. In other words, his predetermined will for the life of every believer is that we would bear fruit. Uh, he did not save us so that we could just enjoy our uh, relationships with other Christians and enjoy the church, but also that we would go out and that we would 
multiply. And we see that in the book of Acts, don't we? They were added unto the church, and then they multiplied as we study the book of Acts. And I think about Lancaster Baptist Church, as how we went there with 12 people calling us to be the pastor. And, and uh, they said, we don't have a lot of things, but we have an auditorium here. And they didn't tell us the auditorium was in foreclosure and that the main water pipe was going to flood the basement a few weeks later and, and all these different things. But it was an opportunity to bear fruit. And that's why we went uh, to the high desert of uh, Los Angeles County, was really to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus. That's why pastor's here. That's what this morning is really all about. So I'm going to give you seven principles this morning that really, I believe, are critical in the fruit-bearing process of building the local New Testament church. My grandfather was a pinto bean farmer, and uh, I received a book this morning from Pastor Will, uh, from Brother Clayton, uh, from Pinto Beans to Cadillacs. I can't wait to read that book. I love the title. All my relatives would love that title. And uh, my grandfather, my uncle, they could tell you a lot about the process of cultivating and preparing and growing those beans and growing those uh, various uh, products of wheat and so forth. But today we talk about the most important type of fruit that we could ever be a part of, and that's the fruit of souls for all of eternity. How does that really happen? I'm going to give you seven principles today just to bear in mind as we share this ministry together. First of all, I believe a church that will bear fruit is a church with a heart for God. Now, I know this is very basic, but how many of you believe that the heart of God is for lost souls? And we must be a people that have a heart for God. Let me illustrate it in several ways. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's say that together. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we're talking today about being fishers of men. We're talking about bearing fruit. But I think it's very important that we continuously follow him because I've seen a lot of Christians over the years. They're in bus ministry. They're in sewing ministry. They're doing and they're doing, but they forget the being part. They forget to be with the Lord and to walk with the Lord and to follow the Lord. And I think it's fundamentally important if we're going to bear fruit perpetually, and that's what you like to see in a farm. You don't want to see a, a, a piece of land that kind of bears fruit for five or six years and then it, it has no more fruit. You want to see a perpetual harvest. If that's going to happen, then we must be a church that maintains our heart for God. That's why a meeting like this is important. That's why revival is important. That's why our devotions are important. That's why no Christian should ever get to the place where we couldn't come to an altar, repent of sin, and renew our walk with God. A heart for God. We have, first of all, a heart to know Him. And this is so important. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is why the psalmist said, Try my heart and show me, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me. This is why we have times to really make sure that we're right with the Lord. When the heart is pure, the vision is clear. And sometimes we don't see this city the way Jesus sees it because our heart is cluttered with so many other things. And, and yet when my heart really comes back to the basic of, of what God wants, then I remember the Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. That's why he has me here. And there are many other trivial pursuits in this life, but there's one God-ordained purpose for our life that is so very important, that is, uh, that we would bear fruit. And that begins with a heart for him, a heart to know him, a heart to follow him. Notice in John 15, 5, the Bible says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, 
the same bringeth forth how much fruit? Much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So what I'm saying here in the beginning part of this lesson is that our abiding relationship with Christ is directly related to our fruitfulness for Christ. Our, our belief will determine our behavior. Our relationship is going to have a great deal to do with the fruit that we live every day. And sometimes when I'm not as soul conscious as I should be, it's because I'm not as God conscious as I should be. And so it begins with a heart for God, a heart to know Him, a heart to follow Him, a heart to serve Him. You know, John the Baptist really summed it up, didn't he, when he said of Jesus, He must increase, I must decrease. And I was talking uh, with uh, Brother Cover Sr. this morning a little bit about how this year has been a year of, you know, not, not momentum, not a lot of momentum, naturally speaking. And, and most of us have seen that COVID kind of slowed some things down. And, you know, sometimes in those periods you realize, boy, if I was thinking this was about me or if I was thinking I had some way of organizing all of this, I got reminded in a hurry it's not about me. It's about him. It's about him, lifting him up. And so we want to keep a heart to serve. Let me just say with respect to your heart that carnality uh, is a pollution that really slows down uh, like a fuel filter that's got a lot of gunk in it. When we have a heart that's not right with God, uh, then we're hindering the work of God. Uh, a carnal servant will take a little thing and make it big. A spiritual servant can take a potentially big problem and make it small. Let me encourage you as workers in this church to be spiritual. Don't take that little thing and just blow it out of proportion. Well, why didn't I get to do that? Or how come he said that? Or, uh, you know, well, I just think that this should have been done this way. No, no, that's a carnal servant. But a spiritual servant can take something that might have been bigger and can make it even smaller. And why? Because we know the important thing is not my way, but that God's will be done. And we want to see God work in our church. And so we need to maintain a right heart for God. Secondly, we need to be a church with a heavenly affection. With a heavenly affection. Now, uh, you know, I've heard people say things like, well, you know, he's so earthly good. He, he's so earthly minded. He's no heavenly good. And sometimes they say he's so heavenly minded. He's no earthly good. Can I just tell you something? I don't know that I've ever met anybody that's too heavenly minded. And we need to keep our focus. I want you to think about this verse, Colossians 3, 1. If ye, the, if ye, if ye be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We must consider eternity. You know, uh, yesterday, Pastor, Pastor Will took me to a place, and he said, I like to come here, and I like to pray for this city. He said, I, I like to just pray over Houston here. It was in a park-like area where you could kind of see some of the city. And I, I know that there's a few places for me similarly in my city. My city's different. It's in desert. But it's my city. It's where God called me. And I go there, and I look over the city, and I pray that God will save souls. And sometimes I pray at night, and I see the lights twinkling, and I'm reminded that those lights represent hundreds of people who need Christ. And, and we need to make sure that we're focusing on the things of the eternal you know, so oftentimes these modern seeker churches, these churches that are emphasizing a lot of bringing the world into the church, 
Uh, that's the exact opposite focus that we need today. We need to be in a church that keeps us focused on heaven, on the things to come and on seeing the Lord. And so considering eternity and really, may I say this, anticipating eternity. You know, it's not something we naturally think about a lot. As pastors, we think about it more. I mean, uh, in the last uh, probably two or three months, we've had at least a dozen funerals in our church. And when you, here we go, back to the church. There's the casket. There's the people. It reminds you of the fact, this life is but a vapor. And it helps me to remember, Lord, I don't want to spend my life on trivial things. I want to bear fruit for you. First John 3 and verse 3, what an amazing verse. Every man that hath this hope, speaking of Christ's coming, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know, there's a school of theology, false theology, that's circulating today that says, you know, I don't really have to purify myself. In fact, you don't have to do those types of things to please God. You, there's nothing you can do that will ever please or displease God. Then why does the Bible say we can please God? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. I want my life to be pleasing to the Lord. And the Bible says here, every man that is looking for the coming of the Lord purifieth himself. That is to say, uh, I need the fire of God's word to, to burn away the dross so that my heart is tender, so that my vision is clear, so that I am effective in the hands of the Lord. And so we want to anticipate eternity. Uh, Randy Alcorn said, setting our minds on heaven is a discipline that needs to be learned. Pastors and church leaders should train themselves and their people to be heavenly minded. This means teaching and preaching about heaven. And we need to be reminded that there is a real heaven. There's a real hell. And we need to live our lives for eternity. I met Dr. John R. Rice several times when I was a younger boy. And I heard him one time uh, shake, shaking the hand of a man, I heard him say to the man, are you saved? And I thought that's a strange thing to ask someone the very first moment you meet them. But maybe that's the most important thing to ask someone, being heavenly minded. And so we want to have a church that has a heart for God, keeping our heart tender uh, towards the Lord and a church that has a heavenly vision. Listen, everything that's going on around here is for souls. I was preaching for a church up in Fort Worth Wednesday night. They're building an amazing building right now, just absolutely amazing. And I was just talking to them about the fact that, that buildings don't change lives. What happens in them changes lives. Buildings are a tool. We need buildings, and, and uh, thank the Lord. This is a beautiful auditorium, but we have to remember that everything going on around here, whether it's painting a building or fixing the parking lot or whether it's some, some project, it all relates fundamentally back to this goal of bringing others to Jesus Christ. That's what we need to remember. And so we must have this heavenly vision. Thirdly, we want to be a church with a passion for Christ's mission. Now, it's amazing to me what churches get involved in. I mean, again, every kind of an exercise program, and I'm not against it. I need to do that. I need to do more of exercising. But that's not the fundamental call of the church. Churches get involved in uh, all kinds of causes and marches. You know, Paul said this. He said, this one thing I do. He didn't say these many things I dabble with. This one thing I do to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And I see churches that 
they're marching for this cause. And, of course, if they're a more liberal church, they're, they're involved in all the social justice and woke-type stuff, and they're trying to you know, push the liberal cause. And then you've got others that they're good people, they're rather conservative, and they're marching for life, and they're doing all those things. And, and there's a place for some of those things. But what I'm advocating to you this morning, to be in a soul-winning church is to be dead center on what Jesus Christ has called this church to do. So we, we must be a church that's just passionate about the things that God has called us to do. And, uh, and, and I, sometimes I think I might write a book on the sin of selective standards because it seems that in Christendom and sometimes in our fundamental churches that people will pick the one thing that they're going to die on the hill for. And sometimes it's church organization or governance, and sometimes it's church music, and both of those are important, and sometimes it's other things. But if there's one thing that we want to keep the main thing, the main thing, it's being after souls. I really believe that. Other issues are supportive and necessary, but people will spend so much time arguing for these other issues and not enough time, really. I'll never forget talking to Ron Hamilton before he became very sick. And I, I was asking about music. I'm not a music major, and we were talking about music. And I said, what, what would you say to me to try to help people with music? He's, and he got real serious, and he said, Brother Chapel, if every music director I knew would just be a soul winner, it would really make a big difference. <laughs> That's pretty good counsel. In other words, there's proficiencies and gifts that we can hone and develop, but what I want to remember in my life is to keep the main thing the main thing, and I believe the main thing is soul winning. Letter A, Christ's passion is clear. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Dr. Truett, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas in the 40s, he said, the bringing of one soul to Christ is the highest achievement possible in human lifetime. The bringing of one soul to Christ is the highest achievement possible in your lifetime. Several years ago, we had our 25th anniversary at the church and now we're coming up on our 35th anniversary in a few months and so we had a lot of guests we had um you know our mayor and we had some congressmen and different ones and they all were giving plaques and that was great we were glad to welcome them primarily so we could preach the gospel to them and there was one gentleman that showed up from the city of los angeles he was the city's attorney and i'd never met him and i asked our mayor i said should i let him come and say something oh yeah he's a good guy he's a good guy i said okay so we had this 10 minutes set aside for these plaques, and so he came up. His name was Carmen, uh, Carmen Trutanich. And uh, he stood in our pulpit, and he goes, Seeing this crowd here today reminds me of the words of Mohammed. And he goes off into quoting some words of Mohammed. And we had a few hundred pastors there coming in early for our spiritual leadership conference, and I was sitting over here utterly embarrassed. I turned every shade of red, I thought. And then I kind of got mad at the guy. And I started thinking, what kind of an idiot comes to a Baptist church and quotes Mohammed? You know, and I'm looking at our mayor. In fact, when the mayor came up, he was the last one to give a plaque. I shook his hand up here on the platform. I said, Rex, you need to fix that. And he came up, and he tried to say a joke about it. Nobody laughed. <laughs> so, so then after church, it was still every time I'd see that guy, it was just bothering me. And, and wouldn't you know it, we had a dinner after church, and somehow in the seating arrangement, they sat me right next to him. And for the, for the longest time, I, just, I was just kind of frustrated and, you know, just sitting there kind of smiling but thinking, boy, you are a loser, man. You, you just didn't know what to say. And, and uh, as, the, as it went on, uh, maybe a, a day or so later, 
throughout that day, we, we started to soften, and we talked a little bit to him and his wife, and then the Lord really convicted me as we got into that conference. We started to hear him preaching, and the Holy Spirit said to me, what do you expect him to say? He's not even saved. He doesn't know what to say. And I put him on my prayer list and began to pray for Carmen True Tanners week after week. And I'd invite him to different things. I sent him at Christmas time a little book I wrote on Christmas. And just the Lord would not let me uh, sleep without thinking of him. And, uh, and I kept inviting him back to church. And finally he came. And wouldn't you know it, it was on one of those days we were getting ready to build the building. My entire message was about giving, the entire message, you know. And when he walked in, I just thought, oh, Lord, why am I preaching about giving? He just came in. He needs to get saved. But I preached the message the Lord laid on my heart. We asked him if they'd like to have uh, a bite to eat after church, he and his wife. And we went upstairs, had a little bit to eat. And as we were finishing, I said, Carmen, I want to tell you something. Since you were here a few months ago, I have prayed for you every day and that man is a usc football player he had i think a couple hundred attorneys work for him he began to weep and he said you'll never know what that means to me and i said carmen i just i need to ask you again if you died today do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven he said no but i want to <laughs> and we were able to open the bible and lead Carmen Trutanis to Christ. His wife, she was so happy. She'd been saved listening to the radio a few years before. She said, we keep going to churches. I keep hoping someone would talk to my husband. And uh, she said, and today he got saved. They're still faithful in church down near Oceanside and, and living for the Lord. But, you know, I truly believe that if I would have kept that rotten attitude, I would have missed the opportunity. And sometimes we look at people and they bug us, you know. Their political views bug us. Their attitudes bug us. And there's a lot of bugged people in America today. But God wants us to be the compassionate people. He wants us to be the people that keep his passion. And so Christ uh, has given us a clear uh, directive. And, and his commission is very, very concise. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dr. Curtis Hudson was an early mentor of mine until he went home to be with the Lord. At age 63, he went home to be with the Lord of cancer. But he used to always say, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. And that's a true statement. Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation He's our Lord, we say. And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And by the way, he also said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Well, there's times I've been out and I feel lonely or I feel awkward. And sometimes you're in a neighborhood where every other fence, there's a pit bull behind it, you know. And then sometimes you're in a neighborhood where every other fence or every other yard got some nice stuff. And either way, you're intimidated. These folks don't want to talk or whatever. And then the Lord just begins to remind me and console me that just, you just go and you just speak and I'll take care of these other things. I'm with you all the time. Thank the Lord that we have his spirit with us. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You see, the Holy Ghost came at the day of Pentecost and he, like a rushing mighty wind, he empowered those early believers. And God says, be not drunk with wine, word is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Spurgeon said, without the spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds, like branches without sap. We are withered like coals without fire. We are useless as an offering without the sacrificial flame. We are unaccepted. And always remember that it's by his spirit that the work will go forward. And so 
We must be a church with a heart for God. Keep your heart tender. We must be a church with a heavenly focus. Remember, eternity is coming. And we must be a church with a passion for what Jesus is passionate about. Let me tell you what he's passionate about. He is passionate about not the food, not the architecture, not this city's infrastructure. He is passionate about the people that live in Houston. That's why he brought us together. That's why he's raising up this church for these people to know the truth. Four, number four, we want to be a church with a biblical ministry process, a biblical ministry process. Now, everything uh, needs process and organization, but we want to think about some of the biblical process of ministry just for a moment. And I want to say, first of all, I believe the process begins with a pastor who's leading, a pastor who's leading. And what I love about this church, one of the reasons I'm here, is because you have a pastor who's practicing what he's preaching. You have a pastor who's not just saying, go soul winning, he's going soul winning. You have a pastor who's leading in the way. As I mentioned last night, Philippians 4.9, the things that you have seen in me do. Can I just tell you something? That's not every day. That's not everywhere. Thank the Lord that you have a pastor who has a heart for souls and encourage him and his wife in the work of the Lord. Uh, I, I think that as pastors, and then may I say this, as leaders and as Sunday school teachers and disciplers and as the church grows, there'll be staff and so forth, that we need to recognize that a part of being a leader in the local New Testament Baptist church is to be a part of soul winning and reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many times people think, well, you know, I handle this or I'm on this committee or that committee. But if they don't have a heart for souls, they'll miss the entire purpose of of the church. And and so we need to be leading in our example. Why? People do what people see. And uh, and this is why Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. So whether it's door knocking or visitation, I really believe that soul winning is better caught than taught. It's something that when you get around other leaders in the church that are doing this and talking about Jesus and carrying gospel tracts and going out soul winning, it kind of catches on. That's one of the things we love at West Coast Baptist College is having our students in, uh, in the college and, and in the church together and teachers that can get up and talk about, listen, pray for this one to get saved. I received a text this morning from uh, Dr. Rasmussen. He said, here's who I'm going to visit today. Pray with me about them. They need to be saved. And you see, that catches on, and it needs to catch on in this church as we talk about it. And that's what this is about. That's what these cards are about. Why is this up here as such a visual reminder to pray for these people represented in these cards who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? We, it's something we want to have as a contagious effect in our church. Someone said the most valuable gift you can give to someone else is a good example. And we're talking this morning about giving them a soul-winning example being one that's concerned for the souls of others. It's something that begins with the pastor. And then there, there must be not only a, a pastoral model, a leadership model, but there must be a stewarding model. And I won't take a lot of time on this, but I just want to say that we need to remember to steward every contact that God brings into our life, to steward it well. Someone you give a track to, they're showing some interest, jot their name down, get their number so you can text them on a Saturday and invite them to church. Keep a list of people that you personally are talking to about Christ. Write a note to them, text them, every so often go by and visit them, invite them for some coffee, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, but steward those contacts. Pastor has a list, no doubt, of 
contacts of people that have visited the church. They filled out a card. We go back. We visit them at their home. We'll write them a week later. We'll stay in touch with them a month later. We'll invite all of the visitors for the last 12 months to Resurrection Sunday and so on and so forth. But the fact is that a dream without a plan is a wish. And so we've got to have a plan that causes us to follow up on people that the Lord has brought. Look at, he doesn't bring those people into your life just to fix your uh, dripping sink or just to uh, serve you the meal or whatever. Those many times are divine intersections. And when we see them as such, and when we take uh, an opportunity uh, to follow through on those, we're beginning a process of bringing someone to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, at the church uh, office level, there's visitor cards going out to visitation cards and uh, keeping a list of those. I saw a beautiful list yesterday from Brother Billy of all those that have been discipled here through the church. And, uh, and so we're passionate from the first time we meet someone until someone is becoming discipled in Jesus Christ. And every one of us can have that passion. It doesn't have to be just the church office keeping those in our own personal lives. We should have a stewardship mentality with those relationships. And then thirdly, it's not only a pastor uh, and a leadership model, it's not only a stewarding model, but it's a collaborative model. It's something that all the church can be involved in. Sometimes I'll meet someone that's visiting at our church and they're from the next town and I'll, I'll see someone in the foyer of the church and I'll say, Joe, come over here. This is Sam. He's from Palmdale too. He lives not too far from you. Or, hey, uh, I want you to meet Sam. He, he's uh, just, just accepted Christ out of Catholicism. Remember your testimony. Tell him your testimony. And all of a sudden the body is working together to help somebody to understand uh, more about the Christian life. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, discipleship is such a beautiful thing because it keeps all of us mindful of the needs of others for Christ. And it's only as we develop others around us that we permanently succeed. And that's why when someone's saved, we want them to grow in discipleship so that they are becoming equipped uh, to really bring the gospel to their generation. I like to say you are either making disciples or you are making concessions. And a lot of churches are making concessions, and this is what it looks like. Well, if you'll show up on Sunday morning and maybe throw a little money in the plate, we're good. But really, Jesus did not describe the Christian life that way. He said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. You say, well, I'm here on a Saturday morning. That's my cross. Well, don't have that attitude about it. But understand, the Christian life's not just an hour on a Sunday morning. It's our whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we want to have a spirit uh, that says, I'm a part of this church, and I want to collaborate with my church family to reach my city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we work together at our church. Uh, we have seasons where we're having enrollments and signing people up for soul winning. Uh, this year we're going to have a huge enrollment in August, and we're working to sign up a 1,000 soul winners through our church. We've already been working on that as a staff. And then we'll partner those folks up, and uh, then we'll give them areas of the city on the map, uh, giving them follow-ups to, to go out so that we're working together in reaching our city with Christ. And so uh, we want to work as a team. Number five, a church with a passion to disciple. I touched on this a moment ago. We want to be a church that not only has Christ's mission for souls in mind, and not only has a process of, of stewarding, but we want to have a passion to disciple. Now, let me just mention a few things, and your church is doing a great job in the area of discipleship, but just a couple things that I think are important philosophically. Letter A, we want to create an atmosphere of growth. 
create an atmosphere for growth. Now, a lot of people have different thoughts here on, well, what does that mean? Of course, it means to be friendly, and of course, it means to be clean in our, our facilities and things like that. But, but let me just say this as it comes to discipleship. Some of you know this already. Be patient with new believers. It's so important. You know, the, the, the postmodern great commandment is whatever. That's the great commandment of the postmodern school of thought. Just whatever. Feels good, do it. Whatever you want to do. So here we have people coming from a whatever philosophy of life to a I am the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> Straight is the way. <laughs> and narrows the, narrows the gate and so forth. And, and, and it's very new to them. Uh, I think that there's uh, an overthought and a compromising thought sometimes about bringing the church down to the world's level. We don't, we, we don't want to do that. We want to bring them up in their growth, train up a child in the way he should go. But it is worthwhile sometimes to stop and think about the fact that when people come into our church, they have no idea where the book of Ephesians is. They have no idea what, you know, come thou fount of every blessing is talking about. It's just all new to them. And we want to be mindful uh, with a discipleship philosophy of how to create an atmosphere of growth. Remember that phrase, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Part of the way we do that is to foster an atmosphere of acceptance. What do we mean by that? Do we accept their sin? No, but we accept them. We're delighted that they're here. Acceptance uh, is truly the optimum environment for growth. Everybody wants to feel accepted and welcome. Everybody wants to be made welcome. Uh, I think about uh, a family in our church, the Knox family. And they're, they're African-American family, black family, and they came in and they were uh, visitors. And our daughter, Christine, is probably the most gregarious uh, young woman in our church, and she's been that way since she was a teenager, just outgoing and friendly. And I didn't know this till later, but one day Mr. Knox said to me, he said, you know why we finally got baptized? By the way, they got saved because somebody left a gospel track at a, at a, at a laundromat. They read that gospel tract and got saved. And he told me sometime later, he said, do you know why we kept coming to this church and got baptized? He said, because your daughter Christine came and sat with our daughter in church and just became a friend. And because of that spirit of acceptance and that spirit of love, there was someone that said, we can come to this place. You know, a lot of times people visit a church and they're just kind of looking around. They're thinking, is there anybody like me here? Is there anybody that's going to be friendly to me here? acceptance is the optimum environment for growth. And so love everyone that comes in. And, and they don't always uh, maybe know everything about church, and they might need help with where to turn in a Bible. They might need help with uh, what a song means. They might have a question that you didn't uh, think anybody needed to know. But just keep that in mind in the discipleship mentality. Create an atmosphere of growth. Secondly, let me, let me uh, share this with you. Develop a spirit of hospitality. Develop a spirit of hospitality. Be willing to uh, have someone perhaps for some coffee over here in the fellowship room or uh, perhaps at your home or perhaps for a meal. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 and 2, a bishop or a pastor must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. And this is probably something we've missed the most during COVID because people have been kind of paranoid about coming over, and at times we've been warned by different organizations. And uh, I'm so anxious to slowly come out of this little no-fellowship idea because people need the fellowship. It's, it's a biblical principle. 
it was a very needful thing. And the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. What's the next word say? Together. We need to be together as God's people. Remember years ago, we had we had a few older members in our church that were a little bit discouraged and uh, not mad or anything like that, just tired maybe a little bit, a little bit discouraged. Then we had some new Christians that needed to just be encouraged as well. And so we had, I think that night, maybe seven or eight families come over to our house. And the way we often do it, Terry will normally have something great to eat. And, and, uh, and if this is uh, uh, several new families, we'll share our testimonies briefly. And so I had Terry share her testimony, how someone knocked on her door and how she got saved from a Catholic family and so forth. And, and then I'll share my testimony. And then I'll ask a few of our guests to share their testimony. And uh, that particular night, I asked a man that had just been saved at our church to share his testimony. He was from Nigeria. He was a, a, a medical internist at UCLA uh, Medical Center. And so he said, my name is uh, Dr. Inikwe. And he said, uh, I come to this church two times. He said, both times, pastors say, you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. I tell my wife, you cannot know that for sure. Pastors say, if you want to know for sure you're on your way to heaven, come up to the front. I came to the front. We talked to John. Now I know. That's how he said it. <laughs> he said, now I know. And so he's telling this testimony. And, I mean, it just, just touched your heart. And, and over here is this older family that needed a little encouragement. And while they're hearing this testimony, they started to weep. And I said, Bill, why don't you give your testimony? And he said, you know, I just love our church and what God's doing here. And suddenly something was happening. Suddenly God was working just through the fellowship of his people. And you can be a catalyst for that. You can sense that someone maybe needs encouragement or needs to know that the love of Christ through you. Develop a spirit of hospitality. Discipleship is about accepting people where they are and bringing them to the next level. It's about showing hospitality. And then, thirdly, it's about biblical discipleship. It's about teaching people the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things that thou hast heard amongst many faithful witnesses, the same commit thou. 2 Timothy 1, 13, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Discipleship is step-by-step step gaining biblical principles that I can build the superstructure upon. And it's so important. And it's, it's, it's work, but it's a labor of love. I remember preaching years ago in Australia, and they asked me if I would give a morning session on uh, marriage and ministry. So I was preaching on marriage and ministry. And uh, there were a couple, three churches that had come over from Papua New Guinea. And these people were wonderful people. They were kind of loud. They would laugh and just enjoy the preaching. And, and I was preaching on marriage. But there was one guy. He wasn't very happy. And he was big. He was actually huge. And if you've ever seen some of these guys, they have some of these different tattoo artworks that's kind of, you know, uh, it, it Polynesian look and just a big guy and had some of those big tattoos. And he was just staring at me. And I, I was thinking, boy, I really don't want to anger him. I, really, I want him to be my friend, you know. And, and, uh, but uh, he wasn't happy. And he came up to me afterwards. He said, I, I, I need to talk to you about what you're talking about. I said, all right, well, let's go in the side room. We went in the side room, and pretty soon I realized the missionary, and it was a classmate of mine from college, had brought him, but, but not because he was a Christian worker. It was a Christian workers' conference, but because he wanted him to be around Christian workers because he wasn't a Christian. And his name was Y, W-A-I. And so through the course of the next hour, we answered some questions. And after a while, he realized the reason 
uh, that he was, was unhappy was because he was under conviction. And why pray to accept Christ as his Savior? And I'll never <laughs> forget what he said. After he prayed, he looked at me. He said, oh, I feel so much better now. Now I can be good husband for both of my wives. <laughs> and I remember taking him out of the office, finding my college classmate. His name Gary. I said, Gary, I want you to know why he got saved. And he's going to need a lot of discipling. <laughs> and I don't really know what, what all took place after, after he got back to Papua New Guinea. Uh, I know he's, he's faithful in church, but I'm just simply saying you just never know where someone's at. And, uh, and, and we have the responsibility of taking biblical principles and helping them to come back to the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Discipleship's quite a journey, uh, but it's so needed in everyone's life. And so uh, we want to have a passion to disciple. Let's look at number six here. We want to be not only a church with a heart for God, heavenly vision, a passion for Christ's mission, a process where we're keeping track of who we're talking to, uh, a passion to disciple. Number six now, we want to be a church with a pastor and leaders who confront indifference. Who confront indifference. Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. I don't know why this is, but in every church, you'll go along for a while, soul winning, discipling, and then there can come a time when there's an indifference that gets into our hearts, all of our hearts. We can, we can just kind of have this indifference toward souls, indifference toward church. Some of you maybe experienced that after a year or two of being saved. And you, you love God, you're glad you're in church, but it's, you're losing the first love. This is what we read about in Revelation. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, I have somewhat against you because you've lost your first love. When that happens, sometimes pastors can sense that. Sometimes they'll preach a message to help all the church. Sometimes they'll come to an individual member and they'll say, are you okay? It just seems like something's not where it once was. Now, don't be the kind of church where I say, yeah, fine. Doing fine. Praise the Lord. Because you're not helping yourself when you bluff. And if you have a pastor that cares enough to say that, you should be thankful. By the way, when he's preaching a hard message to try to help you with your first love, don't say, I'm tired of these guilt trips. Don't call the conviction of the Holy Spirit a guilt trip. I, I know enough about pastor. He's not into leading by way of guilt trip. He's trying to lead you by the word of God. And it's a really a gift when someone will come and speak to you. And, and by the way, as the church grows, it's not just going to be the pastor. It's going to be someone that you've been discipling. And, and, and sometimes they're going to need you in the spirit to just go and say, is everything okay? It just seems like you're, you're not quite where you were. Or maybe something's bothering you. And I'm not judging you. I'm concerned about you. One of the reasons that I gladly invest in, in pastor's life is because He's teachable. He wants to keep growing. I think of men that have invested in my life, Dr. Don Sisk. And when he starts talking to me kind of in that serious kind of a way, I start writing it down. And he says things to me, and it might be things about church leadership or family or different things, and it helps me. And as a leader here this Saturday morning, as a parent, we need to confront indifference so that it doesn't 
bogged down the work of God in the soul-winning discipleship process. And let me give you a few thoughts on how to do that. First, confront biblically. Have the scriptures ready so that you can share the appropriate scripture with someone. It may be a need of encouragement. It may be a need of, uh, of restoration. You which are spiritual, restoring these, considering thyself also, lest thou be tempted. Uh, someone said the job of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> you, you remember that verse in Proverbs that says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And then there's another one that says, answer a fool according to his folly. And somebody goes, well, there you go. There's, di- there's disagreement right there in the Scripture, contradiction. No, because sometimes you do both. What's the key? The key is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. You have to be led of the Spirit to know when to answer and when not to answer. And when someone's struggling, you have to pray for wisdom and say, Lord, what scripture do I share? How do I help this person at this time? That's a part of the ministry, fleshing out this ministry and and working with people, confronting someone scripturally. Let me say this, confront them privately. You know, if this is someone you're discipling and working with, don't try to embarrass them or intimidate them. Just go and say, Hey, Bob, can I talk to you for a second? You doing okay? It just seems like some of the joys evaporated. Or, are you upset? Is there any way I could help you? Boy, b- before you make this, this big decision or before you stop coming to church, could you talk? let's talk about this. Let me say, let her see. Confront them patiently. Patiently. Uh, we want to we wanna be patient with people and loving even while we're confronting them, sometimes they'll say nothing's wrong, and I'll say, well, do you mind if I check back with you in a few weeks and see how everything's going? Or, and, and just stay after it and keep working and working. Second Timothy 2 and 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people are frustrated. They're not sure why. And uh, they need someone that just stays there, stays available. I remember a lady that came up to me after I preached one morning, and she was with another lady, and she said, we would like to have a meeting with you sometime. And I said, all right, we'll call my secretary and uh, put it on the calendar. And I say that all the time, and about 90% of the time they don't call. But I figure if they call, they really did want to and so forth. So uh, her name was Lorinda. She comes in, and the lady that was with her was her mom. They come into my office, and I said, well, how can I help you ladies? Well, Lorinda is a public school teacher. And she's like one of the head people for the teachers union in our area. So she says, uh, I have a few things I want to speak to you about. And she rips out a yellow notepad. Now, that can be either real good or real bad. Yellow notepads mean she's really writing scripture down or she's writing stuff down she doesn't like. And so, so she started. She's now, you know, the other day you said that these children, if they're not trained up in the way that they should go, they're just going to run around like ruffians. And, and, and I had used the word ghetto and I hadn't really thought that through. And she said, the use of that word offended me. So I, I listened. I said, okay, I probably shouldn't use that word. And then she said, then a few weeks ago you said, you said that the husband is the head of the home. Do you realize how insensitive that statement was to say that a man is over a woman in the home like that? And so she went through it. She had a couple other things like that. And finally, after about three or four of them, I said, now, Lorinda, just, just hold on one second. I said, First of all, I want you to know, I do not stay up on Saturday nights thinking of ways to offend you on Sunday mornings. That's not my goal. And I said, secondly, I want to tell you something. God loves you. And I want to tell you this. I love you. And I want to ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you died 
that you would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? And she says to me, you say that every Sunday at this church. (laughs) And her mother looked at her and said, well, do you know? And after a little while, Lorinda prayed and accepted Christ as her Savior. She, she was troubled because she didn't know the Lord. And sometimes after you know the Lord, you're troubled because you're not obeying the Lord. And, and you need a brother or a sister to come to you in the right spirit and say, hey, I'm burdened for you. And it's kind of risky, isn't it? I mean, what if they don't receive it? What if they think you're being overbearing? But you're not in the ministry if you don't do that. You're not really engaged in your marriage if your spouse is drifting away and you don't go and try to try to help. You're not really a good parent if you have a child that just clams up and puts your earbuds in and listen to the music in their room all day and you don't go and try to engage them from that. So uh, in the process of discipling people, we need sometimes to confront this indifferent spirit and to deal with those spiritual uh, problems that sometimes come. And number seven. Number seven, we want to be a church that has a desire to glorify God. A church that says this isn't about me or you. It's all about the Lord. By the way, that's the whole purpose of fruit bearing. So let's go back to that. John 15, verse 8. Remember that verse? It says, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Why do we want to win souls? Well, we want the church to grow. Sure, that's great. Well, we want people to know the love of God, of course. But we want to remember it's all about glorifying God. God gets glory when people get saved. And that's why Satan fights soul winning so much, because he doesn't want God to get the glory. We want God to be glorified, God to be praised. The Bible says, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So here's some thoughts today about fruit bearing. Let's go through the outline real quickly. Maybe do a little checkup like when you lift up the hood on the car and you're checking to see what that noise is that's coming out there. Maybe the Lord will pinpoint something in your life. Here we go. Number one, we want to be a church that has a heart for God. Follow me. Follow me. A church with heavenly affection, remembering that there's an eternity coming. A church with a passion for Christ's mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. A church that has a biblical process. We're taking the names and remembering and following up. A church that has a passion to disciple, being patient and loving uh, and accepting of those where they are. And then being willing to confront indifference when someone's not growing or they're kind of not attending. Being willing to go to them and say, hey, where are we at here? How can we help? And then finally, a church that says, you know, this is about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are some practical principles. This church is doing a great job in these areas, but here's a philosophy to remember as we move forward in reaching our area with the gospel.